In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus, a church that was strong in doctrine, but sadly was diminishing in their love for God and for one another. In the famous line, Jesus says, return to your first love. Go back and do what you did at the beginning when you fell in love with me, and that love was evident in everything you did. We're going to learn more about the love of Jesus and returning to that love today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. So we're going to be in Revelation 2, 1 through 7, but I wanted to start in Psalm 139 and tell you something I heard earlier today from David Jeremiah. He was quoting somebody else, but he said these words. The unexamined life is not worth living. The Bible really teaches us to do self-examination. Some of you are better at self-examination than others. (laughs) Some of you are very reflective. You do maybe quite a bit of analysis on yourself. You see how you're doing. In fact, some of you may suffer from paralysis of analysis. Yeah. Or is it analysis of paralysis? I don't even know how you say it, but 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 here here's the thing, paralysis by analysis. Thank you. <laughs> but the thing is is that it can be healthy to do self-examination, but Revelation 2 and 3 is not really about self-examination, although it has those implications. But the one who is examining the churches is the Lord of the church, Jesus. And when we read Revelation 2 and 3, as I've already intimated, I think it's quite easy to look at seven historic churches and even hear the views about maybe they represent church history or uh, maybe they represent characteristics of the church over history or even churches today. And take a seat in the bleachers and take a look and say, oh, gee golly, that's nice. Or we can say, Lord, here I am. I'm ready to do some analysis about my own life. In fact, I'm ready to hear what you have to say about my own walk with you. Boy, that's that's pretty risky, isn't it? I want you to see the words of David in Psalm 139 when he writes verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, Psalm 139, verse 4, Behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. You could write in your Bible there, it's mind-boggling to me that you know all these things about me. You know when I rise up, when I lie down, what my thoughts are, even before I think them. And then David prays in light of those comments at the very end of the psalm, verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. 
and lead me in the everlasting way. Would you turn all the way to Revelation 2 and let's pray. Well, Father, as we come to a searching portion of the book of Revelation, we recall when we did the opening teaching that there's a blessing associated with the reading, the hearing, and heeding of this book. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible has been described as a searchlight, and it is because the light of the world, Jesus, is really the one behind the scriptures. They are a light, and it's almost as if when we open the Bible, the floodlight of God just shoots into our heart, into our mind. And there is analysis that happens, Lord. You do search the heart. And incredibly, David invited you in. He said, Lord, search me and know me and know the areas of my anxieties and and also, Lord, the areas where if I'm off track, if I'm going in the wrong direction, lead me in the right way. Lead me in your way tonight. As we look at a message called Returning to Your First Love, we're just going to look at seven verses, but they're very powerful, about the church at Ephesus. And I pray, Lord, that whatever you want to say to your church Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to your church tonight. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. So in Revelation 1, we were given a list of the churches that John was instructed to write to as he interacted with the risen Christ in his glory. Revelation 1.11, he said, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. I've mentioned before that the number seven is all throughout the book of Revelation And there were more than seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. But these seven are addressed, and they are, in order, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Uh, In the rest of chapter 1, we got the finished description of the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. And then in moving into chapters 2 and 3, each of these seven churches mentioned in chapter 1, verse 11, will be addressed individually. There's a basic outline for the way these churches are addressed um, that we will take a look at in a second, and I'll I'll give you the basic outline. I say basic because it doesn't apply to every single church. But I'll say this. I think most of us, when we study the book of Revelation, would be probably, because it has this exciting last days kind of feel, We'd want to be quick to maybe skip by Revelation 2 and 3 because it deals with seven churches and the the good and the bad and the ugly, and we might be tempted to rush by this content to get to the cool eschatological prophecy kind of stuff. But one writer put it this way. He said, there's always a tendency in the human heart to become occupied with the dispensation in which we are not, close quote. You see, the end times, when they do unfold, as cataloged in the book of Revelation and Matthew 24 and other places, will really only matter to one generation. So we can get all caught up in last day's um, study and studying eschatology, and we should, and we should look for signs of the times, but truly, there have been a lot of generations before us that have thought they're living at the end times, and they weren't. And they lived and they died, and life went on. Even in some of the wars in early America, some questions were asked to our founding fathers. Is this the end of the world? And responses were given like, it could be, but live as if it's not. Because it's only going to really matter to one generation. 
What is more relevant or pertinent for this hour, and I'm talking about this literal hour that we're in at this moment, is what the Lord of the church says about our walk with him. Amen? Amen. I mean, the last days could be around the corner, but the world could go on for another 1,000 years or 10,000 years. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I have a window of time to live, and the Lord of the church has asked me to live for his glory. And the question is, what am I doing with it? And every day that I live, I have to do some soul searching about just what I'm doing with this life that I've been given. And so as these churches are addressed, I want to very highly encourage you to get out of the stands and get on the field and maybe say, Lord, let your searchlight come into my heart tonight. And in the next coming weeks, whatever you have to say to me as a Christian, I want to hear what you have to say. Because really, what you have to say is all that matters. Would you agree? Your assessment of my walk, you're going to be my judge. So what you have to say is all that really matters. Now, there are several C's I want to give you that are the general outline of what's given to these churches. Number one, the commissioner, if you're taking notes. Remember, these are going up within a day or two of the time that they're preached. Uh, thanks to Jarrett and Andy and others who are serving in these ministries. So uh, say thank you to them. Buy them a donut uh, because they're doing a great job on the, the video audio side. But So you'll be able to access this. So if I go too fast, I apologize for you note takers who are trying to be very copious about your notes. But the commissioner is always going to be Jesus, the Lord of the church. That's the first C. The second thing you're going to see typically is a commendation, something that these churches are commended for. If there's anything praiseworthy, they will get praise for it. Some churches don't have anything praiseworthy about them, and they get nothing commended. And some churches have done apparently nothing terribly wrong to be pointed out, and so they don't get rebuked. The, so you have the commissioner, the commendation. Number three, you have criticism. Uh, several of these churches will receive criticism from Jesus. He will say, you're doing this well, but I have this against you. So that's the third C. You're going to have some form of correction. When there's a criticism given, there's a correction. That is, here's what you should do to fix it, which is always a welcome thing. If someone points out something we're doing wrong, it's always nice to have a solution. Amen? Okay, I'm doing that wrong. What would you suggest I do? And since you're Jesus, I think you have good suggestions. Amen? And finally, there's going to be a charge to the church. So here they are. The commissioner is Jesus. There's going to be a commendation, uh, a criticism, a correction, and then a charge, what they should do. As I noted, not all the churches receive a commendation and not all of them receive criticism. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. In Ephesus, the first church that is addressed of the seven, and I have mentioned to you that some people believe that Ephesus is, is first dealt with because of the trade route that I showed you on a map. 
Others believe Ephesus is dealt with first because of its prominence as a city. Some people say because of its prominence in terms of the early church and its impact in evangelism in the Gentile world. And others say it's because Ephesus was the home church of John, and John is our author. But John is being led by the Holy Spirit, so we'll have to say that there's other reasons most likely for that. As John opens chapter 2, verse 1, he writes to the angel of the church. Whenever you see the word church there, it is ekklesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, where we get the idea of ecclesiastical and those kinds of things. And the study of ecclesiology is the study of the church, and the church is the ecclesia. The combination of Greek words there means to be called out. So whenever you see the word church, it is literally the called out ones. What are they called out of? They're called out of the world, out of the world system, and called into Christ. That's what the church is. These are the called ones uh, called out in Ephesus. You are the called ones or called out in Corona, or if you live in Norco or wherever it may be. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, this is kind of a thus says the Lord in Old Testament type of language. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 20, we have an explanation of these two images. As for the mystery 120 of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, speaking of control and authority of those stars, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So there is a very simple uh, explanation of the symbolism. We have it right there. The angels, um, the seven stars are the angels, and the lampstands are the churches. Notice uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the letter, this prophetic message is sent to the angel of the church in Ephesus. The word angel is the word angelos. I mentioned the city of Los Angeles. It's called the city of angels. The Greek word for angel is angelos. And so what does that mean? Well, the word typically, especially in the book of Revelation, means an angelic being, something like a Michael or a Gabriel. But there's been much debate as to whether or not this address is actually to a literal angel or someone else. And I've touched on it already, but I'll just reiterate it. The the major views are it represents the uh, essential spirit of these churches because churches are essentially spiritual entities or organisms. Some people say that the angel of the church at Ephesus is not a literal like guardian angel or some angel that has some sort of responsibility for this particular church, but it is more like the essential spirit of the church. Some people say it represents messengers, who may have gone to the island of Patmos, picked up these messages and then taken them back to the churches and read them to the churches. Others say that the angel of these churches is the leading pastor or elder or bishop uh, because the word angelos can mean simply a messenger. And uh, you'll see a lot of commentators say they think it's the essential spirit of the church. Some people think it's a literal angel. That's up for debate. But I don't think it's a literal angel. As I mentioned, kind of jokingly, there's got to be a better communication system in heaven for God to get word to his good angels than to go through a human author to get a message to an angelic being. Doesn't make sense to me. 
So that's why there's been four or five different major interpretations about who these are. The commissioner who does write, he is the one uh, telling John to write, but giving the message to these churches. So in essence, Jesus is the one speaking to these churches, although John is the one writing, is Jesus. He's the one who holds the church and walks among the church. So he is in the midst or among his people. Leviticus 26, 11 through 13 says these words. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. Leviticus 26, 11 through 13. Here's the image. The Lord is in control of the church. He's in control of these messengers of the church, whether they be leaders or the essential spirit of the church. And he walks amongst his people, amongst the lampstands. He's present. He is the light of the world. He's the one that gives light to the lampstand. He's the one that fixes the wicks and pours the oil in that's running out and keeps the light shining brightly. He's in the midst of his people. He said he will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. And so Jesus is in the midst. He sees what's going on in the church. So when he gives an assessment of the church, it's because he walks in the midst of his people. Amen? So that could be very encouraging to you or quite frightening, depending on what you've been up to in the last week. Because Jesus walks amongst his people. He knows exactly what's going on in this church. He knows our hearts. He knows what we've been up to. He knows the good the bad, and the ugly. And he has the right to do an assessment on his church, and he's going to do just that for the church at Ephesus. He's going to say, for example, in verse 2, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. Why? Because he walks amidst the church. Now, you might be asking, well, this church at Ephesus, what do we know about them? Well, we know that there was a book written to the church at Ephesus called The Letter to the Ephesians. How many of you have enjoyed the book of Ephesians? Such a great book, isn't it? It's a, it's a book about who we are in Christ, that we're saved by grace through faith, and not, not that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one should boast. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Many of us know Ephesians 2, 10. We are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We know Paul celebrates the love of Jesus Christ in Ephesians 3. And then in Ephesians 4, he says, Now walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And he talks about putting on the new man in Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 5, he talks about many things like being wise and walking in wisdom and, and, and loving one another in marriage. And then in Ephesians 6, he tells us a little bit more about how to behave and then gives us the armor of God. Well, the church at Ephesus is a celebrated church in the New Testament. It's supposed to be a church that was known for its love and known for, you know, being a strong church, but it was located in a very difficult place. And something happens to this church, as we'll see in a moment. I don't know what the time frame was, how long it was from the time that they got, they were strong till they became weak, but um, they obviously had some problems, as we'll see in a moment. Just some facts about Ephesus. Ephesus was located on the west coast of Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey, and it was the most important city in what's called proconsular Asia. When you hear of Asia or Asia Minor in the Bible, it is not Asia as we know it. It is modern-day Turkey. Sean, if you don't mind, just go ahead and 
put up the first slide there. Just, just a little bit of what they've discovered uh, in this area. This area was known as one of the uh, one of the seven wonders of the world was located in Ephesus, and it was a temple that was constructed and built to a Greek goddess called Artemis. Her Greek name is Artemis. Her Latin name is Diana. The archaeologists have dug up statues of her, and when they dig up statues of her, she is this fertility goddess, and what you see on the front of her is multitudes of breasts, because what she's supposed to represent is fertility blessings. So the main, uh, uh, I guess you could say, attraction, if you visited Ephesus back in the day, was this incredible temple, and they called it one of the seven wonders of the world. And there was some sort of teaching that went around the city of Ephesus that the great image of Artemis, this grand statue that was in the temple, had fallen from heaven. When Paul went into Ephesus in the book of Acts, which he founded the church on his second missionary journey, and then there were others who helped with the church as Paul left and then came back. Um, is uh, Paul was preaching the gospel, and you remember he ran into some silversmiths, and one of them's name was Demetrius. And uh, for the uh, celebration of Diana, they would have an annual spring festival, and they had they had these priests, they would call them curates, and they would march down the Agora. Sean, would you go to the next uh, slide, please? This is a, a library from probably the second century AD, but go to the next one if you would. And you can see these ruins today. They had a large Agora. An Agora just simply means like a marketplace. And so the, the curate priests would lead a processional uh, down the street for Diana or Artemis, and the people would shout to her. They would acclaim the goddess, and they would say, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Well, Paul showed up in Ephesus, and he started preaching that there's no such thing as an idol in the world. The true God is found in the Bible, and the true expression or the manifestation of God in, in human flesh is Jesus Christ. You know, as you read the backdrop of Paul going into Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, you can see what a powerful move of the Spirit was going on in that region. You know, in the Jewish synagogue, in the marketplace of ideas, amidst all the false gods of the occult, people even got to the point where they were burning their books of the occult as they turned to the true and living God. A remarkable move of God through one man, who said, yes, Lord, I will go to Ephesus and I will preach your word. You know, as Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus later on in the book of Revelation, we can see it doesn't take long until we can move away from our first love. These people were so on fire when they heard about the delivering power of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. But then, you know, probably even less than a generation, perhaps, they had left their first love doctrinally sound but missing love. And I pray that today, if anything else, we, we would say, Lord, help me to return to my first love. Hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and I'd like to remind you that you can purchase the DVD teachings in Revelation on our online store when you visit walkintruth.com. We have a teaching from Revelation chapter 6 called The Seven Seals. We deal with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We deal with martyrdom. And we deal with something incredible called the cosmic sign in the sky that prepares the world 
for the return of Jesus Christ. It actually depicts the natural lights in the sky going out to prepare us for the glory and the grand entrance of Jesus Christ. Now, I'd love to get a copy of this DVD into your hands when you click on the store tab at walkintruth.com. When you order that, you help partner with us in reaching more people with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Go there and purchase one today. I know you'll benefit from it. Now, remember, our Wednesday night service is at 7 p.m. at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. I'm currently teaching in the book of Job as we deal with the problem of evil and the power of the gospel. This Wednesday night service is at 7 p.m., and it's located at 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona. Also, this Sunday, we have a free class called The Firm Foundation. It's the basic teachings about Christian living, Christian doctrine, what it means to be a disciple, and you can learn a little bit more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Now, if you haven't been in fellowship for a while, we would love for you to come out, learn more about the church, and get re-anchored, or just get some more depth in your Christian life as you go to this class called The Firm Foundation. Now, that begins on Sunday, June 2nd, and it's at 9 a.m. If you'd like to stay updated on all that's going on at Living Truth Christian Fellowship, the church behind Walk in Truth Radio, you can download our app. Go to the App Store, search for Living Truth. You'll see the pillars on our red logo. You can download that and keep up to date. Now, come back tomorrow as we continue in Revelation chapter 2, hearing Jesus' words to the church at Ephesus about returning to your first love. Man, how we need to hear this. Look forward to being with you tomorrow. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.